Well, good morning. How many of you would rather be here than the best golf tournament in town? Okay. All right. Some of you are a little undecided. Hopefully, hopefully by the end of our time together, you'll feel a little bit differently about that. Well, I want to welcome those of you that are here in this room and also those of you who are joining us uh, online right now, either at an off-site campus or on the internet or uh, in the chapel or the warehouse. We're, we're glad that you're along also. Um, before I talk to you about what we're going to do today, let me, let me talk to you about next week. Um, I'm really excited about, we're starting a new series. I always get excited about starting things. How many of you are that way? Anybody? Normal like me? Okay. Um, I really am excited about our next series. Starts next week, and we're calling it Fighting for the Heart. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk about um, kind of God's will for the next generation, uh, how, how we communicate, how we live out faith for the next generation. And if you're a parent, you won't want to miss the next four weeks. If possible, kind of schedule it where you're going to be here the next four weeks, or if you're going to be away, go online, see it on the online campus, uh, because it, a lot, there's going to be a lot of things that apply to you. Now, if you're not a parent, it's going to apply to you too, because there are next generation people all around you, and we believe that there are some strategic things that God wants to do through you, say through you, and live through you uh, to impact the next generation. So the next series is Fighting for the Heart, and it starts uh, next weekend. So we, we want you to be a part of that. Now today, um, I, I'd like to introduce you to my friends. Uh, uh, this is going to be the last time I'm going to be able to do it for a little while because I'm fresh out of friends. Um, actually, not so much because I'm going to kind of, kind of be in the saddle for a few weeks. But um, last week I introduced you to Chris Hodges. You guys remember Chris Hodges? Great message and uh, pastor of um, uh, Church of the Highlands in Birmingham, Alabama. We talked a little bit about how their church started. Chris came to us about 11 years ago. Said he wanted to plant a church, wanted it to look like this, and so we helped him a little bit and. Uh, um, said we'd give him some upfront startup money and that um, we would guarantee his, his uh, church income for a year uh, to do that. And little did I know that, well, I knew that Chris had a close friend named Rick Bizet, but I didn't know Rick was starting a church and wanted to start one the same weekend Chris did in Little Rock, Arkansas. And so when, when I told Chris, Chris went and told Rick, and Rick called me. And Rick said, do you have any more money? And I told him, yes, we really didn't, but I thought we could do something. And so went back to our finance team. I said, we're going to have to double this because I, I believe here's another opportunity. And when I told Rick we would, he cried, which is kind of embarrassing for a big old Cajun to cry like that over the phone. I think he'll do anything for money, though. This is this what I think. And, uh, and, so, and so the same weekend, 11 years ago, as... Church of the Highlands in Birmingham started. New Life Church in Little Rock, Arkansas started too. And both of the churches have just, God has just blessed them. Last, last week we told you that Church of the Highlands is one of the largest churches in America, almost 20,000 people every weekend. New Life Church, one of the fastest growing churches in America with thousands and thousands and thousands of people who attend. And now they have campuses spread out over uh, the whole state of Arkansas. And uh, we're excited about what God is doing there. Rick is my friend. He's my buddy. Uh, he's also an overseer uh, here at this church. He's also on the 
board of directors of the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, where we've planted just about 300 churches uh, since those first two churches started. And we've got, I think, 80 more churches on the board for this coming year. Uh, and so we served together. And Rick used to be a professional golfer. And so I thought, well, we got a little event this week. We might be able to entice him to come. So I took him out a little bit to the PGA uh, Championship and asked him if he'd come and speak on the weekend. So will you welcome with me today my friend Rick Bazette? Love you, dude. I love Greg Surratt. Well, I used to like you more until you told him I was crying like that. And uh, now I'm going to speak on forgiveness today. <laughs> it's awesome. Turn to somebody and say, you are lucky to be sitting by me. Tell them that right now. Uh-huh. I want to welcome all the campuses. And uh, I love this church. When we came here 11 years ago, uh, we knew that this church was a strong church. Uh, but I had no idea how much it could be duplicated. Look, you can tell a great church when you look at it based on how many people they win to the Lord. But you can also tell, and I actually Twittered that this week, you can tell the mark of a great church is when they love helping to build other churches, when they're not just thinking about themselves. And uh, so we came here knowing that they cared, and they were willing to teach us, and they were willing to resource us, and then when I came here and I realized, man, this is just a great church. I want to attend here. I believe when you guys go to, to heaven someday, you're going to want to come back here on the weekends, man. I mean, it's, it's a great church. And, but I noticed that the kids' ministry was strong. Uh, I noticed that the worship, would you give the worship team a hand? I mean, it's amazing worship here. This is no joke. And so a lot of confidence actually came my way when I, when I was visiting this church. And I want to talk to you about the opposite of that. I want to talk to you about fear, because sometimes we struggle with that. Uh, many Christians are paralyzed. They hesitate way too much. They quit way too often because of fear. And it seems as though that the generation that we live in right now, they struggle with it more than any other generation. They hesitate too long. And, and I think it has a lot to do with, with God is now asking us, generally speaking, to do something that's huge, that's immediately intimidating. And so we hesitate. And then if you throw in all the mistakes that we make, and we do make mistakes. Raise your hand if you've made a lot of mistakes in your life. Come on. How many of you have ever told a big lie? Come on, you lie. If you're not raising your hand now, you're lying in church and God's going to kill you. Okay. How many of you, you procrastinate too much? The real procrastinators will raise their hand next weekend. And uh, how, how many of you have ever stole anything? Come on, even a Seacoast Church ink pen? <laughs> okay, busted here in the house of God. But when you make mistakes, you, you tend to hesitate. I, I'm more comfortable talking about other people's mistakes. So let me tell you about my wife and a mistake she made. Uh, when we first started our church, my son, who was around five years of age or so, six maybe, and uh, he was going around telling everybody that he was the pastor's son uh, because he found that he could leverage that to get extra cookies and kids' ministry and all that. Well, my wife heard about this. I didn't know anything about it. She heard about it. And, and she, we, we raise, raise our kids a lot like the Surratts. I mean, that's just not going to roll. That's not gonna, he's not going to get away with that. So she looked at him. She goes, no, you don't go around and tell. You can't do that. You just go around and tell people you're Tanner. That's your name. You don't tell them you're the pastor's kid to try to trump somebody else. Just Tanner. That's it. You're Tanner, and that's what you do. 
Yes, ma'am. And he knew that was going to change his momentum. He knew that was going to mess with him. But the, he didn't know. The next weekend when he went to church, a lady saw him. And she said, aren't you the pastor's son? And he looked at her. He said, well, I thought I was, but my mom said I'm not. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. You think that'll stunt church growth a little bit? We had to wade through that. And, and, and sometimes when you make mistakes, <laughs> that's so funny. I don't care what you say. That's funny right there. But look at this verse, Psalms 34.4. I prayed to the Lord, and he answered, and he freed me from all of my fears. All of them? All of them? What would you do in your life if you knew whatever it is that you attempted to do that you could not fail? That, that you know you would, you would succeed. You know, a lot of times we hesitate because we're, we're convinced that we're, we're not going to succeed. Where, where does the Lord fit into all of this? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But yet we're, we're loaded with fear. So where does it come from and what do we do about it, especially when we're making mistakes? I'm married. I've been married for, it'll be 25 years next year. And, but our first year of marriage, it wasn't very good. We, we were always arguing. It was like wars and rumors of wars at my house. And I remember reading that verse in the Bible, don't go to bed with anger in your heart. And I was staying up for like 14, 15 days at a time. And it was just terrible. Nothing was going well. And then I remember the fear that my marriage is never going to be good. That I just need to either accept this or get ready for even darker days. I remember that fear. I also believe a lot of the fear that I've always struggled with comes from some terrible doctrine that I was around when I was growing up. You know, and some of you have been physically abused in your days, and I can imagine how that hurts. I, I, I was never physically abused, but I have some friends that, that were. Uh, there's pain attached to that. Uh, I know some people that were verbally abused. I've never been verbally abused except for what Greg said to me earlier. Uh, but but, but I've, never, I've never been sexually abused. I have some friends that have been. Uh, but I have been spiritually abused. I don't know if you've ever gone through that. I grew up in a church where that's what they did every weekend. It wasn't like this church. They would tell the truth but had no grace. To me, truth without grace is not truth. And grace without truth is not grace. You have to have a balance in, in the way that you do that. That's what I like about Seacoast. They give you the grace and the truth. They don't leave either one of them out. But, but the church that I grew up in, it was all truth. My Sunday school teacher is the meanest person that ever lived on the planet. I mean, including you. I mean, she, was, she would point at her kids, eight-year-old kids, and point at us and say, you're going to hell like that. Except she would say it loud, hell is hot, hot. She'd say like 30 foot long hand, hot. It was like, I know you told us last week. She would always talk. She talked about hell like she was born and raised in hell. I wanted to ask her, does the devil wear Prada? Because I know you know. She would say, don't you want to go to heaven? Not if you're going to be there. I don't want to. Wading through all that. So what happened to me in, in, in regard to that or in what was indicative of that? Well, I always thought that God didn't want to have anything to do with me. That I was scum to him. So through the years, people would say, God loves you. And I would say, yeah, I think he loves me. But he also hates me. 
There's a few things that I know that he could never forgive me for. And the Bible is clear. It's like, it's like crucifying the Lord all over again when you believe that the cross really can't reach whatever it is that you're going through. So that's where my fear came from. The fear that God wasn't sponsoring anything that I would attempt to do and really didn't want to be around me. Okay, well, the scripture is clear that fear is a consistent problem. It's the most reoccurring topic throughout the Bible. It's talked about more than prayer, talked about more than faith, talked about more than money. All of these issues are huge to us in our home, but fear is talked about the most. Maybe it's because God knew that it would be a problem in our lives. Like my fourth grade teacher said one time, she goes, if you want to do well on the test here, then pay attention to what I say in the class. Because if I say it a lot in the class, it's probably going to be on the test. Maybe this is what God was referring to. This, this might be why he talked about it so much over and over again, bringing up fear and be courageous and be aware of fear and it paralyzes us. So Jesus is talking about this in Luke chapter 12 and verse 22. Check, check this out. Then Jesus said to his disciples, he said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or about your body and what you're going to wear. For life is more than food, probably talking to the men right there, and the body more than clothes, back to the women. Then, then consider the ravens. And ravens is really nothing more than a rat with wings. So keep that in mind when you look at this. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or born, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you're going to eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek His kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys far, where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Okay, I'm raising four kids. Uh, it gets complicated. Uh, I, I spend as much time thinking about how to raise my, my children than I do in, in pastoring the church that, that, that I'm with. And uh, it, it's, it's complicated. But one, one thing I've noticed is that it's much better for your kids to learn something ahead of time than for them to have to learn and then put it into retroactive form. In other words, you want to let them know ahead of time. There are times where you'll say something to your kid as they're running out the door, and you just say it. It's like a little tip of the day. But, th but there are times when you grab them by their shoulders, and when they were little by their little face, and you hold them, you say, look what I'm about to tell you. It's so important. It's very important. You've got to get this. I believe this is what this passage of Scripture is like. It's the Lord saying, hey, Fear is going to mess you up. So please get this. This is not a helpful tip. This is not just a little hint of life. This is, this is huge. When, when you're raising your kids, if you love them, and I, and I hope you love your kids. Some days you don't feel like it as much. 
But I have noticed that you don't just try to teach them things that they learn on the spot. You want them to know ahead of time. Like you don't tell your little kids, hey, today I'm going to te- teach you about an electrical outlet and how it can shock you. So, so lick your finger and come over here. Let me show you something. So they come over and you stick it in there. See how it zapped you and you jerked away real quick? Don't do that again. And then, now, now let me tell you about a stove. I've already preheated it. Come on over here. And uh, take that same finger, the one you're holding, and put it on the stove. See how it's hot? You don't like that either. Now, tomorrow I'm going to teach you about traffic and what it can do to the human body. Okay, you don't do that because you love them. You want them to know ahead of time. And God is sometimes he's saying, hey, I love you and you're messing up your life with this fear. So what can we do about it? Is there anything we can learn about? Because I'm going to tell you, 90% of what you're worrying about is never going to happen anyway. And you certainly don't stay up all night long thinking about how great things are. It's worry. And it interrupts our life. So here's the first thing I think we can do to, to learn. Worry places huge limits on our lives. Look this back to this verse. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry so much? In, in my house, I have, I have a dog. Uh, he, his, his name is Rudy. He's a Yorkie. He weighs about four pounds. Uh, my, my family loves him. He loves my family. He loves my family. The only person he doesn't like on the planet is me. And I don't know why. I've never kicked him. I've never yelled at him. I've never thrown anything at him. I've never cussed at him. I, I'll just try to give him treats and pet him. But if I go into a room, he runs into another room. And if I get too close, he turns upside down and he'll pee right over the top of my head. <laughs> he, he has no idea the limits that he is placing on his life because he doesn't allow me in. I, I want to help him. And the, the, the scripture says that when you live this way, you're always stiff-arming and you're isolating yourself away from the things of God. It's an immediate hindrance and a limit. Who of you, by... Adding worry to your life can, can help one single day is what the scripture is saying. Now, let's do a quick survey. How many of you, you want to go to heaven someday? Raise your hand. Now, look, you want to vote on this one, all right? God's watching. All right. When you get to heaven, you're going to see the enormity of God. But there's a chance you're going to look back now and you're going to think, why didn't I go for it more? Why was I always so afraid? Why did I hesitate? Because we're all going to die. You can Google this. It's like one out of one. It's, it'll agree. Even if all you eat is organic food, you're still going to die someday. The only difference between you and me is you're going to die with a nasty taste in your mouth. Mm-hmm, but not me. I'm going with Reese's peanut butter cups. But the point is that this is going to happen. And, and I think when we see how big he is, how much he loves us, then we'll think back, why, did it, why was I a ball and chain at Seacoast? Why was I always afraid to get involved? Why was I the one that hesitated? Why didn't I go for it more? It's got to be because we don't believe the word of God applies to us in all situations. Just like the disciples. Let me, let me give you an illustration. One day Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, Hey, y'all get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. That was the word of God right there. Well, they forgot about the Word of God because of fear, because of a storm. It's been taught with bad theology through the years that if you're in a storm, it's because you did something wrong. 
That's what my Sunday school teacher would say. If you're having problems in your life, it's because you did something wrong. Well, these disciples were in a storm. They did nothing wrong. They just did what Jesus said. And not only that, Jesus was also in the storm. He was sitting right there in the boat with them. And then the storm kicks up and they start getting afraid. But Jesus is really not in the storm like they're in the storm. He's not afraid at all. He's sleeping. So they're freaking out. They just can't believe it. Finally, they don't know what else to do. They forget about the word of God that says they're going to make it to the other side. They think they're going to die. So they wake Jesus up. Literally wake him up. He wakes up. And it's, like, it's not like he was shocked. Like, wow, a storm. I did, it's caught me by surprise. No, he's God. Remember that. You've got to remember that part. You won't like the rest. And, and then he, they look at him and said, Jesus, don't you care? I'm sure he's looking at them like, man, how could they live their life thinking that I don't care? This is what happens when you get afraid. God, don't you care? Are you there? Do you even care? Jesus looks at them and says, hold on just a minute. He looks at the storm and he says, storm be still. Immediately, these waves that were killer waves and the wind, everything subsides. And then the Lord looked at them and said what I think he says to me sometimes. He said, why are you so afraid? They probably didn't know the answer. It had to be awkward. They were complaining, and then they realized who was in the boat with them. Why are you so afraid? I believe this is what the Lord is saying to us right now. Why are you so afraid? It's the tendency since the original intent of man when God created Adam and Eve, and they were walking with God in the cool of the day, and everything was wonderful. But when they fell into sin, they immediately hid. God showed up and said, where are you? What's going on? We're over here. Why are you over there? Because we're afraid. This is what we do. We tend to hide. Instead of going to God, we hide away from Him and the problems that go with that. Look, the reason why they got afraid is because they forgot the Lord says they were going to make it to the other side. We listen to the storms, to what causes fear more than we listen to the Word. We listen to people's voices. We listen to culture. And I'm going to tell you right now boldly, culture will lie to you. I'll prove it. Ladies that are old enough, remember in the 80s when you used to have your hair way up there? Remember that? The, cool, the higher it was, the cooler it was, and you would spray it and walk around and thought you had it going on. You didn't have it going on. A culture lied to you. That was a nasty look. That didn't look good. How about you guys, though, back in the 80s? You're not left out. Short shorts. Remember that? Tube socks with a gold trim around it and Reebok shoes. Remember the fanny packs? If you saw a guy like that at the mall now, you go over and slap him outside his head. <laughs> what happened is culture lied. Culture lies, but not the Word. And I believe the Word wants you to know that there's no reason to be afraid. I've got this. And think of all the things that you can accomplish if you're not afraid. Especially young people. I'm convinced that this generation, people that are around 35 years and younger, the fear that they have, it's It's intense. And they're always hesitating the way that it outplays that so many young people, they will not apply for a job they really want because they're afraid that they'll never get it. They, they, they do this with relationships. A relationship is broken down. They won't make the call to restore it. So they go with that friend without that friend for the rest of their life because they're afraid that maybe they'll be rejected if they make the call. Do you know how many young people are in college and they choose a major that they don't even like? 
because they're afraid of the one that they really want to do. And then if you throw it into Christian men and women in the way that they hardly ever talk and it's mainly just texting back and forth and they don't know what to say to one another and then they date one another just on texting, never have a conversation, then break up on texting, it's crazy. And then Christian guys are so afraid to talk to the Christian girls. All the girls say, amen. Come on, say it right now. Okay, you're afraid to say it. Now I'm preaching at you. Okay. Young men, if you're here and you don't know what to say to another girl and you attend this church, she's godly, you're godly. You don't know what to say? They got scones here. I found that out by the coffee. Just go over to her and say, you want a scone? Okay. Okay. It may not work, but it's way better than the tactic you've been using. And fear just holds you down. Number two, seeking God's kingdom first gives us an unintimidating view. It says, for the pagans, the world, that world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek the kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. You know, you know what it bothers me? Some of you are even at church right now. Because you're afraid if, if, if you don't go. It's kind of how you keep score. You know you messed up all week. So you go to church out of fear. Instead of the potential of the relationship of a God who loves you. Some of you, you read the word because you're supposed to read the word. And it's wrong if you don't. It's right if you do. So you read the word. But some of you, you read the word because there's life in it. You can't wait to read it because you love the Lord. Some of you avoid compromise because you're afraid that if you, get in, if you make any mistake that God will hate you forever. But some of you, you avoid sin and compromise because you don't want to do anything to mess up the relationship with God. Because you love Him so much. In front of all of us, we have two roads. One road is the, the way of the world. And I've got to say that it's extremely attractive at times. If you go down that road, I promise you, with the Bible backing me, you will love it for a season. At some point, though, you'll realize it was false advertisement that you've been punked. I've seen a lot of people go after that road and down it, and they have so much regret. And then they feel like that God doesn't want them back. They forget about the power of the cross. Do you know how many people are running away from God because they're trying to fix their life before they go to God? But you can't fix your life without Him. And He's really good at forgiving people He's amazing at that. But we're on this road a lot of times and we just get stuck there. It was false advertisement. This other road, there's not a lot of glamour to it. It just says the kingdom of God, God's will, Jesus first. Call it what you want. But I've never seen anybody going down that road through the years with regret. Like somebody who serves the Lord with all of their heart. They make mistakes, but they keep going for God. I've never seen anybody at the end of their life saying, man, I just regret it. I've served God all my life, and and I believed in His Word. I regret it. I wish I would have committed adultery more or stole more stuff or whatever. It just never happens. The Bible says, if you seek first the kingdom of God, you don't have to be afraid, because if you seek first the kingdom of God, All things will be added unto you. But we don't go down this road because we're afraid. Number three, fear, it cannot coexist when God is seen as a loving father. It says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father, your father, your father. I don't know if you had a good dad, if you have a good dad now. I don't want to delve into that too much. But I do know that Father God 
He's amazing. He's very good at what he does. He loves. Now, you can see it in the story of the prodigal son. Uh, the prodigal son, he, he wandered away. He said, Father, give me. And he goes out and he made a lot of mistakes. He spent all of his money in, in prostitution and just living, just crazy living. Ended up with nothing, broken down. But in it all, he was out there so long, he forgot how much the father loved him. We know by the rest of the story. Because he started thinking, man, if I could just go home, but my father, he's not going to, maybe if I could just be a servant, if he would just put me as a slave, I'd be better off than I am now. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my father this and I'm going to tell him that. He rehearsed a speech. He goes home. He forgot how much the father wanted him there. Because the scripture says when he got from a long ways off, the father saw him. And the father just took off running. I guarantee you, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I guarantee you he thought the father was running out to kill him or slap him or whatever. But that's not what the father did. The father didn't even listen to his speech he had prepared. The father just put his arms around him and hugged him. And he tried to go to his speech. He goes, look, all I know is my son was lost and now he's found. Let's go in and have some filet mignon. It is party time. I'm raising my kids and, and sometimes... It frustrates me because I can tell they don't know how much I love them. It's difficult. You know, if you were to come over to my home, or let's just say your children, your children would come to my home and play with my kids. And they were all playing, and then they got hungry swimming out in the pool or whatever, and they wanted some peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they all came in, hey, make us peanut butter and jelly sandwich. My kids and your kids mixed in. I'd make the sandwiches, no problem. Eat a few myself too. And But after I made them, if I dropped one on the ground... And it got all dirty. I'm still going to serve that to one of the kids. I'm not going to let it wait. So I'll pick it up. I'll put it back. But which one of those kids do you think is getting that nasty peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Your kid. Not my kid. I love my kids. It's what a lot of us, we forget about the love of the Father just... The best illustration I can give any of the campuses or anybody listening in right now is, is my son. When he was four years of age, this lady in the church who was about to be a bride, she was getting married. She said, look, Hunter, I'll, I want you to be in the wedding. He said, okay. She goes, and I want you to just do one thing. I want you to carry in your dad's Bible and stand by him on the stage. That's it. So I, it was a little peculiar, but Hunter wanted to do it, so I was for it, and we went through the rehearsal, and he aced it. It was like he found his purpose in life is what it looked like to me. But then the day of the wedding, the next day, he was acting peculiar. He was a little quiet, reserved. So I finally said, Hunter, are you okay? He said, Dad, I'm, I'm so nervous about the wedding. Oh, I remember the wedding. I said, oh, yeah. I said, you don't have to be nervous. It's easy. No, Dad, I don't even remember what to do. I can't remember anything. I don't remember anything. <laughs> and I said, all right, look, son, here's what's going to happen. They're going to open up those doors in the back. And as soon as they do, you're going to see me. I'll be standing up there. You just keep your eyes on me, and you carry the word. They, they open the door, and, and, and I'll never forget his face. He's here with me now. He's 21 years old now. But, but I, when I saw his face, he was staring at me like, like this. <laughs> Scared to death. And I looked at his hands. He had both the Bible, both his hands around the but no one could have taken that Bible from him. And he was walking and staring and concentrating. And I'm giving him thumbs up. I'm letting him know he's doing well. And he's getting more and more confidence. 
By the time he got up here, he had some swagger. I mean, he was confident. He stood up, handed me the Bible, like, I got this, you know. But I realized in the middle of all that, that advice that I gave him, it was good advice for me. When you get into a place where you're afraid and you don't know what to do, just keep your eyes on the Father and carry the word. I don't know how we got off track of that, but we have. Just keep your eyes on the Father and carry the word. He loves us. This is what he's saying. I'm a caring father. This is what this scripture's saying. Recently, I was watching my son at a golf tournament, and he hit a bad shot, and I was aching for him. And I rolled my eyes. I was like, I can't believe he's having this bad of a day. I was hurting for him. Well, he saw me at the precise time I rolled my eyes, and then it hit me. He thinks I'm mad at him. If he thinks that I'm mad at him because he hit a bad shot, He's not going to want me at these, these tournaments anymore. It's going to affect our relationship. Exactly. This is what's going wrong. We think that God is mad because we hit a bad shot. He's not mad. He's, he's hurting. And then we're afraid that he doesn't want us around. And you see how this builds and multiplies. And then number four, nothing can hinder a confident perspective. Look, I'm not going to read all of this, but in, in verse 34, it says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can everybody look here just for a minute? I want to close this out. This is it. Uh, there's a verse in Psalms. Maybe you remember a song growing up. It said, Cast your care on him. The word cast in the Hebrew, it actually means to take it before the Lord, whatever it is that it's got you weighted down and drop it. Just bring it to him and, and drop it. Just carry it to him and let it and let it go. I don't know how we've kicked God out of the equation of our lives so often, but but we have, and God is just saying, I want in. I want in. But because we've been taught wrong and, and we've learned inaccurately just how much love he has, we never can associate, we can't get him back in. So, so I believe that the Lord said, Rick, if you'll, you'll speak on this this weekend. I believe a lot of them can be healed in my name. But I'm asking you to live in such a way because being afraid... It's not working real well. But being a confident follower of Christ, they realize, man, I don't even understand why he's chosen me, why he's forgiven me. But I do not question that he has forgiven me and that he has chosen me. I'm going to tell you, it'll change your swagger. It'll change the way that you pray. You'll dream dreams again. And you'll enjoy your Christian life, perhaps for the very first time. Let's bow our heads, no one looking around. Lord, I first of all want to thank you for this church. I know, Lord God, this church has helped out so many people, especially the people that attend here every week. I thank you for the integrity of this place. Lord, I thank you for the heart that leads this church, how real they are, how humble. Thank you for Greg. Thank you for his family. Thank you for the times that Greg just tells us exactly what it is that we need to pray about. He 
it's clear to me that this church is it's pastored well. But Lord, I know that there are some people that are here and they, they really don't know what you're all about. They, they may even get seacoast, but somehow you're not in with seacoast. Lord, I ask for everybody in this place, those that are broken down because of fear, I pray for them to be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks a lot for letting me talk with you. You know, um, while Rick was talking, giving us just an excellent message on God's kind of heart for fear, I felt like there probably are several of us who um, really resonate with that. I mean, it was a message that everybody can use, but there are some of us here that because of where you are right now, it was like he was talking to you. It was, there was a sense of just a resonance inside. You know what that is? That's God the Holy Spirit saying, I love you, I care for you. I want to draw you to me. You know, you may very well be in a situation right now where fear is driving you to do some unnatural things. Fear is driving you to, to hide and to be afraid as it did with Adam and Eve in the garden. It might be in a relationship um, that fear is, fear is just driving something there. Maybe it's a fear to connect or maybe it's a fear to be real. Let's have a real conversation. Let's really talk. Or maybe it's physically. You know, there's something going on and, and you're afraid even to go find out about it because you're afraid what the outcome will be and when in reality, um, your, your action now is probably making it worse. There's fear in, in a career, in a job. There's fear in a relationship with God. Rick talked about that a lot. For some of us today, it's like taking our next step, and maybe your next step is your first step. Maybe your next step is just to say, God, I can't do it on my own. I, I want you to... I want to give control of my life to you. And maybe you're just afraid to do that because there's a lot of stuff that might be going on. Or maybe you've walked away from God and you're afraid to say, God, here, take it because you're embarrassed about it. and It's kind of your own deal and it's not what God's thinking at all. Or maybe it's just a next step for you. It, trusting God with your finances or getting involved in some area of ministry, whatever it happens to be. And, uh, and it just spoke to you. Here's what I'd like you to do just for a minute. Just kind of bow your heads just for a minute. I want to, just want to pull the audience a little bit. Have you say, you know, that's me. I, th that really is. Just raise your hand. Will you do that? Just raise your hand. Okay, okay. I, th I thought so. I thought so. All, all over this place and the campuses. Well, here's what I want to do. I'm going I'm to pray for you. And I want you to pray. And it, as we do, let's just, as best as we can, let's say to God, God, here, here it is. I give it to you. God, I thank you for every person who acknowledged in this place and campuses, wherever they happen to be on the internet, that just acknowledge that there is an area of fear that's keeping me captive. And I don't want that. I, I don't like the results in my life, my relationships. God, maybe it's with you. And for some of us, we're saying, God, we've been afraid to come to you. 
And so today we do. We come to you. I give you my life, God. Whatever that means, I give it to you. God, I just pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would cement that commitment into our hearts, into our lives. You're a loving Father that loves us. You're cheering for us. You want us to do well. And so we come to you with that in mind. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.